What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. And this episode, I'm interviewing Wade Barrett and David Barbie. Wade and David are the sound designers behind the hit Amazon show, The Boys. So if you're a fan of the show, you're going to definitely want to stay tuned to see what sounds went into creating the superhero characters. With all that said, here's my interview with Wade and David. I guess to jump in, how did you guys work with the creators of The Boys to sort of come up with a unique sound for the show? Well, luckily, I had been able to work with Eric Kripke on another show in the past. So I was kind of familiar with some of the stuff that he, he liked and disliked. Um, but obviously, this is a very uh, different and unique show. So David and I both actually started well before the first show was finished, you know, cut and turned over to us in the summer of uh, 2018, quite a while ago. But um we were about four or five months out from eating, even, you know, getting the first turnover. And we started doing sound design on the, su- like the main principal superheroes in the show. Uh, Eric's really involved in the sound process. So he, he works with us, you know, we'll, we'll do a meeting on how he wants things to sound. And then we'll do a, a pass. Um, I'll, I'll get together with David and, and we'll talk and then we'll start just doing review passes and we do multiple rounds of those. So Eric, you know, uh, in terms of showrunners, he's very involved in the, in the sound process. Um, he likes to give a lot of feedback, so we're lucky there. What kind of sonic palette did you create for the characters? David, I don't know. You can chime in on that one. Well, you know, in truth, the palette was what we had to find, um, you know, as, as far as giving each character its own voice and, and deciding what was going to be appropriate. You know, you could take a look at a character like a Starlight and say, okay, Electricity. Well, when you get down to electricity, there's actually multiple ways you can go with that. And so deciding what was going to be the best voice for Starlight was a lot of working very closely with Eric and sending possibilities to him and and getting feedback and, um, you know, tweak a little more and a little more and a little more until we kind of really decided what was the what was the right flavor. Let's put it that way and trying to find the right place for it to be. I've got to ask, in the first episode, The Exploding Girlfriend, <laughs> what went into sort of coming up with that whole moment, I guess you could say, in the sound sign? Um, well, it, we did a, a probably like 10 different versions of it. That was a visual effects shot that just kept changing and changing and changing. It was kind of a slow burn figuring out those sounds. Well, I think one of the most powerful tools that we use there is sucking out all the sound you know i mean sometimes silence is is a good use of uh helping sound design in terms of like specific elements and stuff i mean david you could dive into that sure well there's a lot to break apart in that too i mean there was some practical stuff had to kind of decide what was what was going to sell the slow motion aspect of it what was a train we needed to kind of decide what should be superhero specific to who a train is Mm -hmm. And then, you know, some sounds being slowed down makes sense, but, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know if you may have noticed, there's just a touch of gore in that shot. (laughs) Uh, And if you slow gore down, it doesn't sound like gore anymore. So you can slow it a little, but you basically need to kind of get these, just keep it going and just keep it, letting that evolve the way the shot needs to go because you need it to sound like gore. So there was a lot to really kind of unpack there and that was the first time we saw a train too and that was some of the the, the 
turnover stuff that Wade was talking about where we got it before we actually saw the first show. So we were starting to take our first passes is what should A-Train sound like too and playing off of his name. And if you listen to that shot carefully, you'll hear a lot of little allusions to a train in there, stuff that's chugging as it goes, like like a train slowing down in slow, you know, as, in slow motion. We had a lot to play with there. And honestly, that shot was a lot of fun. That was just, there was so many different directions we could go with that, with the slow-mo and the gore and A-Train. And oh my gosh, yeah, it was a great, that was a good, that was a lot of fun on that. I feel like every single department had fun with that shot. Probably. Like the VFX, the on set, everything. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah, I agree. Because you said there was some, you wanted to create that engine or that sort of chugging sound. So did you look to motors? What, what did you sort of look to for that sound? You know, there are some literal train elements in there. One of them is is one of the signature things that stayed with a train throughout. I don't ever want to say too much because I also don't want to take away the, the fantasy from mm-hmm. the audience. But eventually it started getting to not even necessarily a literal train, but what created that same feeling of whoa, 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 whoa. And just that idea of the classic steam train Mm -hmm. chugging and puffing. So I would look for things that kind of had that feel and that movement. And in that shot in the slow-mo one, that was fabulous because I could also make it slow as it went to make it to sell that slow motion as it went. In a couple episodes later, we see a train in a race against the the up and coming speed demon guy. Mm -hmm. And I had to go exactly the opposite. And I had to take that chugging sound and speed it up really fast and and go and, and make it rip around a, a racetrack. But I kind of started playing more with just the how do I mimic that motion rather than necessarily using literal train elements, although there are plenty of literal train elements in there too. You've alluded to this a few times, but what were some of the choices you made behind story from a sound perspective for the show? I don't know. I, I think Wade, this is Wade and I coordinated a lot mm-hmm. on this stuff. Um, I find it really it comes down to the moment to the moment. You know, you can come up with your palette of what an A-Train is going to sound like or a Starlight is going to sound like. But if that blast out of Starlight's hand in episode one doesn't work in the same shot for episode two, well, now you're, you clearly you have to tweak it and you have to make each moment sell for itself. Um, so I wasn't necessarily looking at it as an overall story arc per se. It was more a matter of, I want this moment to shine. So let's take these base elements and what can I do to tweak it to make it even more? And that was a lot of talking with Wade and a lot of working with uh, the mixer, Rich Weingart, who was fabulous about, oh my God, I threw so many tracks at poor Rich. I, I, I'm sure he has nightmares still of just scrolling up and down trying to find material. So yeah, so for like, for the for the different superheroes basically what david's saying is like we had um pretty much the same template for we built off the same template for each superhero so that we could give that to rich and then in the mix he could feature depending on what was going on with the music or you know to help like you said to help tell the story for example homelander has x-ray vision and like depending on what he's viewing and what emotions he's feeling while he's using his x-ray vision we would feature you know if it's more like a more intense headspacey moment you know we might play the the low end stuff up more or you know the more cerebral sounds to make it more like inside of his head but you know if it's more just 
he's just using his x-ray vision just to see something, you know, uh, to get a clearer picture that's not really, you know, in his head, then we might play it's completely different. It also has to do with sonically is going on uh, with the music to get it to cut through. But also, you know, the main thing that we've tried to do the most is just to help use the sound to tell the story. So like with Star, when Starlight, you know, when she's drawing in her energy, whether she's angry or, you know, it's a badass moment and she's like about to kick someone's ass, you know, we might play though that the way she draws the energy in differently, you know, just to help tell maybe what she's drawing in the energy from or like what emotion she's feeling at the time. We, we built it in a way that Rich could kind of have some freedoms on the stage as well, you know what I mean? To pick and choose what, what worked in, in different moments. So were you guys uh, comic book fans before this show or? <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, when I was much younger. Yeah. I, I won't say that I currently am too much. Uh, but yeah, growing up, I loved comic books. How about you? Uh, actually, no. I never really <laughs> looked at comic books. I was a sci-fi fan growing up. Uh, and the superhero worlds um, certainly was something that was quite just readily adjacent to the sci-fi stuff. So that was kind of where I got the Sonic template, as you were, as it was in my head, you know. Comic <laughs> books just didn't grab me. I don't know. <laughs> One of the things right now is there's all these streaming services and everything's sort of coming through the internet now. And one of the issues with that is I could have a really nice setup in my room with good speakers, or I might be looking at my tiny phone with crappy speakers. So how did you guys work with the mixer to make sure that, you know, something like the girlfriend exploding or other important moments, you know, like when the guy's in that electric cage mm -hmm. still feels real and visceral and like an experience, an auditory experience, but it's still coming out of you know, two separate speaker, you know, like a iPhone versus a good set. Right. Um, well, the spec that we have for Amazon, it's, um, it's not necessarily a, like a mobile spec. So it's a typical, you know, five, one delivery. And, and we do playback on the bigs on in five, one, uh, we do check stuff on, on smaller speakers, um, mm -hmm. and like a crash down LTRT environment just to make sure that things aren't getting lost. If the music's too low, believe it or not, that's actually a lot of times the music and backgrounds. A lot of times they are what get lost um, when you when you go down. But you know, we trust the mixers. You know, the mixers are are really talented on this show, and I and I really trust them as to as to what's gonna what's gonna translate. You know, they have a lot of experience checking their mixes on the bigs and then going to the smalls. I haven't listened to it on a phone, to be honest. I, I would actually like to try that. I, I listened to it on a laptop to check that, you know, and on, on my television. Well, the reason I thought of that question is uh, I watched the show when it first came out. And I was like, oh, this is a great show. And then I got emailed by Amazon. They're like, you should watch it again. But where I was for the, la like for the last month or two, we don't have a TV. So I had to watch on an iPad. And so I was like, right. oh, I wonder what auditorily changes for you guys you know certain certain streaming services you know i did a show for facebook watch and it was this crazy compressed spec that we had never worked with before so you know when you're making shows sound wise you, you know you kind of have to pick what you're mixing for in that regard but we we're hoping that most people don't watch on a mobile device <laughs> <laughs> well i did i listened in a good space initially um yeah and so i, I no, watched I got you. You know, I got you like i binged the whole show the first time and i was like it's great yeah. Then, yeah, yeah, I got you. Totally. Um, now, what would you guys say is the most challenging scene that you had to tackle in the series? 
most challenging scene in the whole series. Uh, well, a couple first season. come to mind. Oh, the first season. Yeah. Um, so uh, one that comes to mind t- to me is um, the scene, I think it was episode four. Um, it's hard to remember now because we just finished season two. But I think it was episode four when they're in the plane and Homelander and Maeve are up in the plane and, you know, they eventually end up shooting it down. And, you know, the Homelander lasers the cop and the cockpit bursts open. And so there's this, all this rush of wind. And, you know, first of all, there's the sound design, which David can talk about after I'm done. But, you know, all the ronks and, you know, but basically all the production sound in that scene was unusable because to get the shots to look right for their hair to be blowing and the debris to be blowing and the oxygen mask to be waving the right way, they had to have all these wind machines on set, right? So that was completely ADR. The actors, you know, to get them, you know, to get to that place was um, was tough, but it, they actually ended up, all of their performances were really good. You know, it's a very intense scene. You know, people are screaming at one another to recreate that uh is a lot of work and then you know working with the loop group to get the crowds to you know be very specific to the people that you see on camera um and to get them to have that urgency in a adr stages uh, can be difficult um but yeah that that whole scene was built up from from the ground up you know we didn't use any production sound in there and david did a, a great job building all the twisting metal sounds and obviously the the tailspin at the end but um yeah david you can chime in well, I, I'll have to agree with Wade that that scene was by far the most challenging and in ways also the most fun because it it provided a lot to work with. But there was a lot to work with because there was a ton going on and getting getting the balance of, you know, okay, we'll go with the big wind gust here and now here's we'll put in the metal ronking and now let's go to this, you know, where the people needed to be. I mean, one of the things I'm always concerned about when I'm building is overwhelming you with a wall of sound too many things happening at once is deadly so i'm always trying to find what should be featured one moment to the next and that moment could be anything from a few seconds to 10 frames depending upon what we're talking about so in a scene that busy putting all of that together where wind can just become white noise so quickly yeah that scene took a lot of time and what to feature, what not to. Yeah, it, it was a lot going on. So I remember wait. we spent we spent a lot of time finding the right noise that w- was like the wind sound. I mean, no one really knows what that sounds like when you're going that fast. No one's been <laughs> in a plashing crane. Not too many people have know what that sounds like and live to, to know. But like what finally ended up like kind of making the most sense was almost like mic distortion. You know what I mean? Like the sound of anyone who's done field recordings and knows when it's windy and your pop filter is not strong enough. It's like the mic capsule getting blown out almost. You know what I mean? Which if you overthink it, you don't want to use something like that. But, you know, as a layer on top of other wind sounds that really sold it, you know, in the end, which was interesting. And we should definitely give a hat tip in all of this to the dialogue mixer, Alex Berman, who um, she also just had her hands miserably full. And in a scene like this with all that ADR and everything, um, you know, that was a lot of a lot of work to put all that together. So, I mean, all of our stuff, what I'm doing an editorial side and what I'm working with Wade to produce, none of that matters if we don't have good mix crew on the other side. Well, and you, you mentioned sort of trying to choose what needs to be highlighted at a particular moment. You know, when there's multiple things like that, how do you determine what's important? Story decides first, yeah? Yeah. Wade? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's something kind of that we have to decide on on the mix stage. I mean, 
obviously with with backgrounds david chooses what to place where um to 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 make it more interesting but you know when it comes to when you see multiple things happening on screen and there's big music sometimes you have to just choose you know what i mean you can't necessarily play everything in the front um sometimes you have to just kind of pick and choose and, and sometimes the showrunner decides that I mean, kind of play what sounds the coolest, I guess, you know what I mean? Or, or whatever is the most, adds the most drama. Yeah, it, it's tough sometimes. I mean, another, uh, uh, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Another scene that was like that was, you know, the scene, uh, I think it was the previous episode to that when there are A-trains racing in the big arena. Um, and there's huge crowds. And then we go and Homelander and Maeve are whispering each other. And, you know, and then, you know, there's Butcher's reaction. And then we kind of go inside his head. And we have to weave all these crowd sounds and music sounds. And there's, you know, so much to like the give and take in a scene like that can take almost a full day on the stage trying to get it, you know, because the mixers have to weave in and out. And sometimes when you when you love a sound effect or you love certain things, you just have to let it go to tell the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unfortunately. <laughs> Wade, I'm impressed you get it done in a single day, quite honestly. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, gonna say, yeah. Pretty quick turnaround. You've talked about your challenging scene. What would you say is a scene that you're most proud of? You know, it, it, as a whole season, it kind of, you know, the culmination of the fight scene, the fight scene between Starlight and Atrian at the end was really cool because it was in the final episode. It was towards the end. And, like, you know, it's the first season of this show. So we had spent a lot of time building these different characters. We had obviously highlighted and had some cool moments with A-Train and Starlight throughout the season, but that as a scene, we kind of like, you know, got to bring out our bag of trips and, you know, everything that we had been working on throughout the season. It was kind of like we got to have this cool big fight scene to like kind of show it off. Um, I don't know. That's mine. I don't know. Maybe you had, David has a, a different scene. Wow. I don't know if I have a different scene. I mean, in a lot of ways, the most challenging ones are the most fun ones. I mean, what's it all about? At the end of the day, you want to go back to the beginning of the scene and hit play. And when you're done, I don't know a word. I just always like go, yeah. If, if I have that buzz, if I look, listen back at it, and I'm thinking to myself, that was really cool, mission accomplished. Now, I have one last question that I like to ask everyone I interview, and that is, what would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? <laughs> uh, wow. Um, favorite guilty pleasure. I have a lot of films that I love to rewatch. Guilty. Um, I rewatched Jerry Maguire the other day. I don't like Tom Cruise, so that's pretty guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Your next project is going to star Tom Cruise now. Yeah. Wait, you know? <laughs> hey, man, I'm sure that I'm sure that pays pretty well. I'll take it. <laughs> oh, God! You know, there are so many. It's just one of those things that there's been so many amazing films that have been made over the years. I just put on Raiders of the Lost Ark the other day for okay. the first time in forever. Hunt for Red October sticks with me forever. I just love that movie. Uh, the book was better, of course, but what else is new? <laughs> Um, you know, yeah, but those aren't guilty pleasure, man. Those are good films. Uh, <laughs> man, don't judge me, man. Uh, <laughs> The, the notebook was the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a guilty pleasure. Gosh, you know. How about all the Monty Python movies? I'll still go back to those. 
I don't know if that's guilty either, but you know, I mean, air actually, okay. All time favorite movie. All and it's one that generate generationally I've realized there's so many people who don't even know it anymore, which just breaks my heart. Airplane. 1980. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. Just, I mean, it's just so groundbreaking as far as the, you know, the take on comedy and the way they approach it. And I didn't realize how horrible it sounds until I actually saw it in a, um, a revival theater that played it and it's you know it's mono it's straight up the middle the track is noisy like crazy uh and didn't doesn't matter doesn't matter that, that <laughs> movie's just still hilarious well I, Gordon, what's your what's your favorite uh i have so movie? many <laughs> <laughs> i really enjoy there was like this period in the 90s where they were making these weird sort of sports movies where kids would make it to the big leagues in some way oh yeah and yeah. Rookie of the Year. Yeah, Henry like Rowan Rookie of the Year. Actually, yeah, yeah. And there's well. like a couple of them. Though. There's like two <laughs> or three. And I, if they ever appear on TBS, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch that. <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah. You know, okay. it's a terrible movie. But speaking of Airplane, I was talking to this this guy who he actually shot the models for Airplane. You know how they have them on the string? in the yeah. And he said one of the frustrating things is he had, he was one of the model like uh, cinematographers for Star Wars. And they hired him. And they were like, yeah, no, we want it to look bad. And he's like, but I just spent, you know, six years making Star Wars look phenomenal. And now, now you got to make it look like crap. Hired the wrong guy. Yeah. I mean, seriously. All <laughs> right, I got my guilty pleasure. You know what I love? I love bad disaster movies. Oh, yeah, they're great. Those are, I mean, when the stories really makes no sense whatsoever is from a science standpoint and the acting is stilted and whatever. Oh, my God. They are hilarious. They're fantastic. And fun and ridiculous yeah. you know and I, I love that yeah like the day after tomorrow geostorm <laughs> geostorm was awful but it was great because it was so awful do you ever fabulous. do you ever listen to how did this get made you ever heard that podcast? oh i've heard of that yeah, yeah. I've, I've actually really wanted to listen to that but i never have there's a whole episode on geostorm and it's great oh i'm gonna so, look that up yeah that's awesome thanks for listen to that well thank you guys for letting me uh interview my pleasure thank you Thanks for inviting us. So that was my interview with Wade and David. I'd like to thank Wade and David for allowing me to interview them. I'd like to thank Amazon for reaching out to do this interview. I'd also like to thank Evan Winch for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.